Good evening and welcome to Registry Report Radio. My name is Michael McKay and welcome to our show this evening. We're going to have a great show for you. Let me tell you first how you can listen to Registry Report Radio simply by clicking on the links that you see in social media. That'll open up a player that will allow you to listen to our live show as it is being broadcast. The same link will allow you to listen to the show on demand or the recorded show whenever you like. So it doesn't matter if you see the link from today, yesterday, or a week ago, clicking on it will allow you to listen to the show. If you don't have an internet-connected computer or smartphone, you can listen to the show simply by calling in to the studio. The number is 563-999-3712. You can call in on any phone, whether it's a cellular phone or a landline, and just listen to the show as it is being broadcast live. Tonight, we have myself and Dwayne Daughtry and Shauna Baldwin as your co-hosts, and our guest tonight is Jason. Jason is a blogger at endtheregistry.com. He is a former synagogue president who became the president of his synagogue after his conviction and probation. And he's here to tell his story tonight. So, hello, Jason. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you. And I hear you talking about how people can listen. I've been listening to these episodes, and they've been wonderful. Last week with Lenore Skenazy was fabulous. I've been quoting her all week. So, so thank you. Super. Super. Well, we love it when people are listening to us. It can be a little disheartening to think that we're just talking into a dead microphone. So knowing that there are people out there actually paying attention warms our hearts. So tell us a little bit about your story. Assuming that someone has not gone to your website and read your story, give us the Cliff Notes version of what has brought you to where you are right now. Okay, so as you know, every story is super complicated, so I'll try to just condense it to, like you said, the short versions. So the, the short version is I was uh, arrested, and that was in 2008. I was convicted in 2010, and I was on probation until 2015. During that time, and one of the things that I really wanted to be doing was volunteering more, and I became active in my synagogue. But as most people who are listening probably know, when being on probation, particularly with a sexual offense, there are so many restrictions that it makes it very difficult to volunteer for groups where you would have to email or coordinate and meet when places when you need an authorized supervisor and all that. So I waited until after probation to volunteer more at the synagogue. So many folks at the synagogue knew that I had committed a sexual offense, that I was on probation at the time, but that was you know, back in 2010, as time went on and new people joined, there was, you know, not everybody knew. And it's not something that I walked around talking about, but certainly some the core people that had been around for a while certainly knew of my past and it wasn't something that I was trying to hide. I was asked to be on the board in 2015. I joined the board and within relatively short time, I became the executive vice president and then the, the president of the board. That was a volunteer position, so it wasn't a full-time job, but I was also working a full-time job, but this was something that was, you know, I was doing for many reasons. So while I was doing that, things were going great. I actually went to some leadership training. I brought people in to speak at the synagogue on different topics. Our membership, most religious organizations are shrinking. Our synagogue was growing. We had increased engagement by our members. 
we actually merged with another synagogue. You know, we I negotiated that merger, or was one of the key people negotiating that merger. The mood of the people was up. Our financials were looking good. You could stop me if I'm going too much into this. No, no, no. You're doing <laughs> great. Are good. And so, which brings us to our high holidays, the past high holidays in 2018. There was a moral panic, and what happened was one of our congregants decided that she had an issue with my past and started talking to anybody that would listen and saying that I was on the registry. That was in the backdrop of what was going on, and there was some fallout from it, and we had wanted to get ahead of it. So I ended up working with our reform movement, helped me in terms of thinking through a response to all of our membership, and this is not in the blog, Michael, but I actually sent out a letter essentially outing myself to the entire congregation and saying, I've always been here with the best intention. I, I want to do good things. One thing I didn't state earlier is that one of the things that's really been important to me from the moment of my arrest was that I wanted to make my criminal activity in my life a footnote, not the main story, right? So I've been trying to put good back into the world and do good things. And that's all I had been doing. So when this started happening, I wanted to address it and wanted to come forward and figure out a way to help move the entire community forward. At the same time, we were also negotiating a lease agreement of our synagogue with the local YMCA. I called the YMCA and told them that I was on the registry. And at first, they did not seem to think that was going to be an issue. But then a parent called, and they pulled out of the deal at the last minute. And when they pulled out of the deal, it became political issue because it was something we were trying to do not only for us but also for the town which had a real need for aftercare programming for children. It's really important for me to state here that as a volunteer I was negotiating the deal I would have nothing to do with running the program in fact I was going to be in a completely different town when they were running their their program. So it was really out of fear that they pulled out then it became a town issue. People came in, and our rabbi was actually on the town council. The local politicians made it political. The people that were on opposite political party were looking for a way to get the rabbi off of the town council. The people that were on the same party were looking for a way to save face. So they basically sacrificed him, and then it became news and went into the local papers it was picked up by the AP. The story was all over the place. So that was back in early October. And since that time, our rabbi, in order to keep it out of the news, because it was just, we were getting emails from congregants saying, what do we do? What's going on here? We're, our, our reputation is going through the mud. So the rabbi ended up resigning from the town council, and I stepped down as president. So that was back in October. Wow. That's a quick story of what happened most recently. We made a lot of very strenuous efforts to become a part of the community, to participate in local worship and politics and become friends with a lot of the movers and shakers in your community. In retrospect, well, you said something on your blog, and I quote, I couldn't have written a better redemption story, but that wasn't enough. Hindsight being right. 2020, do you think you could have done anything differently that would have produced a different outcome? You know, that's an awesome question, and that's something we struggle with because, you know, there have been some folks who say 
you should have talked it through as a board and talked it through as a community and said, hey, this guy is on the registry, and do we want to go forward with him being a leader? But there's another part that says, you know what? I've paid my debt to society. I have worked on every single level, whether you're talking about actually doing the hard work of therapy, improving relationships with family, improving relationships with friends in terms of looking internally, in terms of giving back to the community. I did all those things. So I guess the question is, when does it stop becoming something that you have to carry around? And one thing I didn't say is at the time that this happened, you know, I had, I don't know the exact number, maybe 21 months left because now I'm down to 15 months left on the registry. So, you know, in Connecticut, for me, it's 10 years. So we're talking about the very tail end of a very long process. But I've joked that if I were to save a family from a burning car, it would go into the newspaper as sex offender, unauthorized entry into the car. Right. That's usually the way it works. A lot of people on the registry, myself included, are apprehensive of exactly the sort of ambush politics that you became a victim of. The minute you start thinking things are going well, that's when that little voice in the back of your head says, maybe not. There may be an ambush right around the next corner. Did you have any inkling that this was going to happen to you, or did this come completely out of the blue for you? No, this was this was completely out of the blue. You know, things were, like I said, we were on a high. Things were going really, really well. And you say in hindsight what I do differently. I don't know that I would do anything differently. You know, I believe that if I can't go forward and, and use everything that I've been through in order to help others, and in order to help, and in order to be a better person myself, then there's really no use. You know, I mean, I, I understand the risks when I go forward, and I really want to, you know, I want to live the best life that I could possibly live. And I want to stand up and say, look, look at me. I'm doing a good job. And I'm not proud of what happened in 2008, but I'm pretty proud of everything that's happened ever since. So... You know, I think everything has risk, but it is an absolute risk that somebody has to face. It's an extra burden that somebody on the registry today has to face. Mm -hmm. Considering the, the huge amount of media attention that you got last fall as a result of this happening, were you concerned about going into advocacy? Was your family concerned or your, the people who are close to you worried that this is something that could lead to things being even worse for you? It's definitely a concern. Now, my children are older, so I'm not as worried about that. You know, they're actually currently in different states, so it's less of an impact to them directly. But I know that at least one of them is very proud of every time I tell her the work I'm doing. I'm leading by example. I'm saying this is, this is what it takes to speak up for yourself, and this is what it takes to go out there. And, you know, it's tough. I have aging parents, and I don't want them to have to, to go through this type of thing ever again. But at the same time, I want them to be proud of me, and I want them to be proud that I've done everything that I could in order to lead a good, decent life. One of the things I've recognized, you say, in terms of going into advocacy, and I'm doing it at the level that I can do, but one of the things that I recognize is that there are a lot of people that can't speak for themselves. They can't come out and, and stand up because they're Maybe they're on probation and they don't have authorization to do so. Or maybe because if they do, they're going to lose their job or, or, or whatever it is, or because of a family member won't let them, or because they're so busy 
trying to find housing and employment that they can't even possibly think about doing anything like this. So I definitely want my voice to be heard, and I think that I have a story to tell, so that's why I'm involved. Super. My co-host, Dwayne Daughtry, has a ton of questions for you, so take it away, Dwayne. ton of questions. Okay. <laughs> I'm like, wow, I have a ton of questions. Thank you, first of all, for really telling and sharing your story and blogging it. Personally, I think the registry has created a shame listing. And however, to combat the registry, I think registry stories should be told around the internet and the world so that people can see the human side. Do you agree with that? Do you think that people should start telling their story to deal with maybe the shame? I think it's really important. I think shame is, is a huge thing. I mean, I felt, you know, Michael said I don't have to talk about what actually was going on at the time of my arrest and what the arrest was. But, right. you know, I felt right. a lot of personal shame for things that I was doing that were not illegal for the most part, but were obviously there was some illegality because I was arrested and, and I was guilty. But for the most part, were not well, I'll just say it. I was addicted to the pornography. So it was not something that was illegal to go online and look at pornography, but it was something that I actually felt was against my own value system to be doing that. And it was, and so I did feel a great amount of shame. And I didn't talk to anybody about that shame. And I didn't have a support system. And it was only after I was arrested that I was able to go and talk about it and build the support system and build a network and, and get to the point where I realized that what was going on had nothing to do with sex and everything to do with other parts of my life that were falling apart and weren't where I wanted them to be. So I built a better life. The shame miraculously shed away. And over, and over time, the shame has become less and less and less. So while there's more public shame to being on the registry, for me, there's less internal shame. Does that make sense? Right. Yes, perfectly. So gossip often creates shame. And you mentioned that in your blog as far as the woman that was showing the cell phone to everyone. Do you have any suggestions to registrants or families how to overcome that issue? I mean, I know it's going to happen, or it maybe has happened. How did you deal with it? Well, so when it first happened, it's amazing because I immediately went back into the defense mode. You know, we when I was on probation, it, my mindset was completely different. I was constantly looking over my shoulder, what could they perceive that I'm doing wrong? You know, even though I was doing everything right, how does it look? How does it go? You know, it kind of put me back into a defense mode in, in my thinking where I'm sorry and I've got to explain to everybody and, and I've got to tell them what I did and come clean and you know, and then I got to the point where I really what I owe them is this. Yes, I did something in, in the past, but that's not who I am today. You know who I am today, so let's move on. So right. that's kind of where I fall today is more in the long, along the lines of I live every day in a way that I can be proud of what I've done. I know that I've put in a good day. I know that there's nothing that I have to be ashamed of. So therefore... If somebody else is going to try to shame me for some reason, that's on them. Yes. And I've been doing a lot of learning since that time. I mean, I've, I've read a tremendous amount of books. I've, I went to see Emily Hurwitz speak in, in Massachusetts. I've read Roger Lancaster's book. I've read Eric Janice's book. And so, I mean, I've got a better arsenal personally now 
in terms of how to be thinking about some of these things and that I'm not the only one. And so I think recognizing that, that, that people have to be allowed a chance to move on and heal and demonstrate that they've changed because you can change. You can go through it. If, if you were talking about an addiction to alcohol instead of sex, everybody says, you know, hey, that's great. The guy stopped drinking and he's and everybody's happy that he's been sober for 10 years. But if you struggled with sexual issues, there's just that misperception that once a sex offender, always a sex offender. So that's just something right. we need to change. And I think things like the movie Untouchable can help start to change that. The fear stuff that Lenore talks about can help change that. The work that you do, Dwayne, can help change that. So. Yeah, I think by having people talking about it and saying, you know, we, if you're worried about me because I did something 10 years ago or 12 years, whatever it is now, if you're worried about me, you're worried about the wrong things because chances are there's somebody else that's doing something today. It's not me. So you're looking in the wrong place. And people do want to share their story, but I would say I'm a majority. It's a very delicate and I would say traumatic issue for them as well. And I don't think a lot of other people from the other side realize that. Do you think it's important also to take a step back when you're ready to share your story or situation so that you don't feel like you're ambushed, but you're prepared? Absolutely. I think that it's probably good. You know, now you can, you can find out from other folks. Most people are probably familiar with doing action plans to what could happen, think through what could happen in different various scenarios, and I think the same is true with sharing. I like to tell people at there's a certain point, you know, and I actually one of the things I wrote was, you know, when do you tell people that you're on the registry? You know, I was outed in a very big way, so a lot of people know. I go to a gym, and most of the people that are at the gym in the morning don't know. And you know, I don't want I don't want the people that I meet at the gym is the right way to go. I think it's really one-on-one and talking with people. Right. And thank you again for sharing. I mean, it's a very great story. If our listeners have not seen it, they should go out and look for it. And I look forward to reading more from you in the future. So uh, thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you. I was planning to get a, to my, my goal is to get something posted every month. And this month I might be a little bit late because of a couple of I, things that I are going. know the feeling. <laughs> I know the feeling. I, I call it a writer's procrastination. <laughs> but thank you, Dwayne. Oh, anytime. Thank you. And Shauna, did you have any questions as well? Of course. Hello, Jason. Hi, Shauna. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Good, good. First, I just want to say I love your website. <laughs> love you. your website. And thank you for standing up and using your voice. I just wanted to say that one-on-one personally to you, that I appreciate that. As someone who is trying to do the same thing, as we all are on this show, so thank you. No, Um, thank you. That means a lot coming from you, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. I have a couple questions here. You you and Dwayne were talking about, like, your children, and your children are older, and I've been asked that as well. My children are younger, and people will say, you know, you're a mom. Why in the world would you do this? And my daughter was there at the premiere of Untouchable and saw the the whole crowd give me a standing ovation. Like, I'm showing my children how to be a leader, how to stand up. And is that how you feel with your family, with your children? Like, your advocacy, how does that affect your family? Uh, Yes. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So these are very – these now these turn into very personal questions. So – I think you may have seen what my younger daughter had written 
she actually wrote a poem that was published just if it was, my father made a mistake, you know, which is an oversimplification, but that's what she said. And, but he's a hero, you know. So I read that. It, it made me cry. Right. Thank you. And so she went up and she actually performed that in front of the entire high school. And oh. it was, I mean, yeah, this was, in, so it was in her senior year. And as you know, there's so much to, to these stories. I mean, there was a, uh, oh there gosh. was an incident when I first went on probation where a kid, the, the mother of a kid across the street who was in my daughter's class called the police and said I yelled to her kid when I actually yelled to the dog. I was just being put on probation and they put me on a GPS monitor. This ties in because that same girl was in my daughter's class and heard when my daughter read the poem and said, you're so impressive, your dad is really, I don't remember exactly how she said it, but it was something along the lines of that she was really impressed with, with her as well as with me. So it was, that was Absolutely. a big moment. Of course I worry about it. There is always collateral damage. There's always things that happen. I worry for my fiance. I, I worry for my parents. I do worry, but they are supportive. I have to be who I am. And they know that I'm not, like I said before, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm doing things in support of doing things right. I'm doing things in making a better, fair, just world. So that's a good model. So they know that. Right. So hopefully that turns out to be a good thing. I believe it will. And, I, and the reason I say that is because I absolutely applaud your daughter for having the nerve and the guts and the courage to stand up in front of everybody and stand up for you. I absolutely give her so much credit for that. And I found it pretty difficult for myself to do some deprogramming from group. Like there were things I got from it, but then there was so much that I had to learn to deprogram after probation. Did you find that you had to do that too? What do you mean by deprogram? We'd have to say what we did and then say we were guilty. We'd have to say we were sex offenders. We would have to like say victims. You know, like I know. Yeah, I get it. So I understand the question. So for okay. me, it was it was very very different. I was treated probably different from most people in the group that I participated in. So there were there were two things that were going on. One is I got myself into individual therapy as, as soon as I was arrested, and I also did a, a tremendous amount of reading. And by the time I got into group, my head was already pretty good. And so when I was on probation, of course, you know, they say, fill out this questionnaire. Did you ever do this, this, this? Okay, you have to go through this group treatment. And for me, one of the things uh, that I found was I learned right away to just embrace it. And so every opportunity I had to speak, I did. So they had things like sharing where you'd go in and I'd say, you know, I had a rough week this week because this happened. Because I, I knew that they were writing it down and they were saying I was participating, you know. And then to me it was a, another opportunity to vet. And then they would say you have to do your autobiography. So I went home and I wrote my autobiography week, you know. So I went through whatever they asked of me. I was ready before they asked it so that they got to a point where they said, we don't know what else to do with you. You pretty much graduated from this thing. Get, get out of here. So – I don't think it was a typical experience because I know that there were other people that were in there that were in the group for years and years and years and years. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a painful experience. You were talking about how nine, pretty much 99% of the time when you tell someone on your time, and I agree with you on that. I, I like to tell people instead of them finding out like I was trying to hide something, but 
the one-on-one. Now let's switch that, like you telling people, to restorative justice. What's your idea about that? Like what if it was okay for both parties and start doing some restorative justice and bringing people together, which we talked about on another episode, but how do you feel about that? Well, you're talking about the episode with Alyssa Ackerman, Dr. Ackerman. Yes, so of course. I actually have an opportunity to to meet her this weekend, so in person, I will have more to say about that then. I think okay. that the restorative justice and things like that, it's, it's, it's really an, it's an alternative to the very broken system that we have today. Mm-hmm. So it's much better to get to a place where people are, are healing because one of the things that we know is that a lot of the people who have been on the offender side of the equation have also been on the victim side of the equation. And so right. it's not so simple. And there are times when people who are on the victim side of the equation have a relationship with someone who's on the offender side of the equation. So we're all interconnected. We're all in this together. So anything we can do to heal and restore and to to treat each other with humanity, just it it gets us out of the whole offender victim mentality and into a better, healthier world. Agreed. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. I think if the healing could actually take place, because we all have our cycles, right? And we all do something when we get triggered. And and it's because the trauma wasn't healed. Whatever that trigger was in all of us, and we all do it, I think wisely men should have a better space. Not men labeled as sex offenders. I mean, of course, them too. But, I mean, all men should um, have a space where they can discuss even their abuse, Men, they hold it in so much, and then things just explode. But that's another thing. I think that's something we should be focusing on is men speaking up a little bit more about their abuse. So my last question before I give you back to Mike, how do you think we can end the registry? Great question. So it's interesting because, you know, after this thing happened with with the temple, I said, well, what am I going to do? And I was looking for a domain name and and I settled on end the registry. Part of it is because I think that we need to use those words, right? Because everything that I've seen is about reforming registries and making them more efficient or making them better. And, you know, when you talk about the registry, there's two concepts that kind of relate. One is, and I'm going to take it, when I talk to people in the temple, Many people, individually, I support you. I'm behind you. I love you. You're the best ever, you know. But ask them to stand up right. and say that to the group. Ask them to put that in writing. Ask them to do that. It, all of a sudden, it becomes different. Oh, you know, ooh, we, mm, I couldn't, you know, we have to protect people. We have to, you know, so it gets very different. It's one-on-one, great. When you start talking about bigger groups, they're worried about their reputations or being labeled as, as an offender themselves because they're getting too close. And so you take that to the broader case of now we want to get legislators to actually change it's something and, and, and take away something that's been, that's been popularized by the culture of fear and by all these types of things. So it's a tough thing to do, but I think you, your support with working with David Figo was a huge step doing a movie like Untouchable. I would love to see, I, I know there's a play out right now, I would love to see somebody develop a sitcom where the main character is dealing with being on the registry. You know, I, I don't know. Uh, that's certainly not in my skill set, but maybe I somebody. I totally thought about that. 
I thought about that. I was like, and have people, I think people should come on and talk about their stories and actually talk about what happened instead of just what the crime title is, because there's always a story. Like there's always the trauma they dealt with, what was going on at the time, the things that were happening. Right. But if you, if you, if you were to actually have it be a relatable character that's living a, a really decent life, but who's struggling because the you know, hey you know what happened today you know the kid went to school and this happened you know but, but it's done very lighthearted way or something you start to take away this this fear you start to take away you start to show a different side because again when you're when you're dealing with people on an individual basis I mean if you Shauna were to walk up to anybody and have a conversation with them they're gonna they're gonna walk away with a different opinion than if they never met you but. But many, many people aren't going to give you the chance, and the same is true with me. But if you were to actually start to change the, the culture and start to change it through, through different things, it, it, makes, it would make a huge difference. I agree with you, and I think that there's a link somewhere in the train that's missing, and I'm really trying to figure out what that link is so that I can maybe do some more for the collective because I think this needs to go away. So thank you so much for everything that you do. I'm not done. I know Mike's not done. I know Dwayne's not done. I know that so many people are out there doing such wonderful things. And, again, thank you for your work, Jason. We really appreciate your voice. Thank you, Shauna. That's awesome. Hey, Jason, I have a question about collateral damage. Your rabbi, obviously, was forced to resign his position. Have you had any contact with him since then? And have any other members of your community been oh, in no, uh, he, collateral he damage resigned, because he of resigned, this? He resigned from the, from the town positions, but he did not, he's still the rabbi and I'm oh, still okay. a member of the synagogue. So I, you know, I see him. He's, and he's, you know, my rabbi was very supportive of me from the day. He was the first non-family member to visit me like immediately after my, my arrest. And I didn't even know him. At that point, he, he was my parents' rabbi. And he came over and he said, your life's not over. I'm more religious now after a decade than I was then. But, you know, he talked to me about stories from the Torah that I knew and related stories of Jacob and Joseph and, and, and told them in a way that made sense based on where I was at that moment. And then he said, you know what, you got to go out and you got to volunteer. And he told me to go pick fruit for one of these, for, for a group called Food Share. And mm-hmm. And that weekend, that's what I went and I did. You know, I trusted him, and I went through a whole process. The, you know, the, the Jewish religion has a concept called teshuva, which is about actually redemption and, and making amends and, and, and coming back after, after doing something not so good. So, you know, I went through that whole process. Yeah, he's, he's still supportive, and he's still the rabbi, and he's doing quite well. <laughs> mm-hmm. The town suffers. Okay. Because they lost, yep. you know, they lost. He was the police uh, chaplain. He was the fire chaplain, and the town suffers because he's wow. because he was pushed out. Do you believe that your faith has a different outlook on sexual offenses and those who commit them than other faiths? I'm not an expert on on other faiths. I know that. I just know that that's that's such a tough question, you know, because I think that some of the other some of the Christian faiths, particularly the Catholic religion, is really struggling right now with, the, with that question mm-hmm. because of the priests and the priest scandals that are happening around the world. I think that's a really tough question uh, if that, that folks – it's not an easy issue. 
Um, but when you get down to the underlying, the underlying thing of forgiveness and, and coming back, I definitely think that Judaism offers a way for people to become fully functioning members of, of society, even after they've done something horrible. You know, I actually I took a class. I'm I'm a, I'm a reform uh, Jew, uh, a Jewish person, but I took a class with the Chabad, which is a you know, very orthodox group, and it was just recently it was on criminal justice, and they showed the way Judaism has thought about criminal justice through time, and it's some of it's a lot more forgiving and progressive than than where we are today in the United States. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned how horribly the media treated you throughout uh, this entire episode, and obviously they treated you pretty shabbily. Um, My question is, do you think that the religious aspect of the story made it a lot worse or, or, or made them pile on? Good question. I don't know. It certainly didn't help. It didn't help. But I don't know. I don't know how much... It doesn't. It doesn't seem to matter whether it if it was somebody who's Jewish or somebody who's any other religion or somebody who has no religion. Whatever it is. I mean, I I've been looking at stories across the country and even the littlest thing. You know, somebody moved and didn't notify the registry. That's that becomes a news item. Somebody is coming out of prison and is is going to be on the registry and living in a community. That's published in the media. So I think the media has a real fascination with these stories because they sell. So rather than reporting on what we know is, you know, other than that New York Times article that came out and said that the frightening and high myth was all a myth, and it was based on that 1986 Psychology Today article that was based on absolutely nothing. Other than that, the majority of reporting it does not come out and share the facts. Doesn't say that you know that, that there've been study after study that says only three to five percent recidivism rates. It doesn't doesn't come out and say that the majority of cases uh, of new sexual offenses are from people who have never committed an offense before. So they just repeat what they see everywhere else. And to me, the articles look like they're intended to just create more fear. Yes, absolutely. I just want to reiterate something. Maybe I'm not sure that everyone who's listening was able to grasp the, the differences between being a religious leader in your synagogue versus being a synagogue president. Being a president is kind of like being a member of the board of directors. Isn't that right? You're kind of a, in a sort of a management exactly. position. You're not out there teaching Sunday school or, or Saturday school or whatever it is, right? No, no. I was the one I would call the board meetings. I was the one who was going out and representing the synagogue in the community. I would go to training sessions. I would bring people in as guest speakers. I would try to arrange for different programs. And we had different committees. So there's a membership committee, and I would show up for that. There's a finance committee, and I'd show up for that. You know, different these different groups. So there was a religious school committee meeting with adults that were talking about what was happening in the religious school, I'd try to go to that. So it was, it was definitely not, I was, I was not, uh, I was not teaching Sunday school. I was not, uh, and it was, like I said at the beginning, it was not a, a paid position. This was completely voluntary. 
your involvement with the YMCA was nothing more than trying to arrange a lease. Is that correct? Yet the media tried to make it sound as if you were at the YMCA grooming children or something, didn't they? Well, yeah, because I was – no, they were going to – yeah, the YMCA was going to be renting the building from us. And during the, during the, the, the work days when people were in school, and now, as I – you know, before, I said – when this when school is in session, I, I work in another town, and I'm not, you know, I'm kind of a, I, I'm a workaholic. So if they were to beg me to show up to a meeting, it would have been hard for me to arrange and get over there, you know. So it was, it was so ridiculous. And even if I would show up in the building, which I wasn't going to, I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't be near the program, you know, the program that was running anyway. There were, you know, it's going to be staffed by two teachers. I mean, it's just, it's just kind of uh, ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But you're right. The paper, one of the, a couple of the articles made it out like this is somebody who's looking to be close to children. So it right. it was just it was absurd. Yeah, it really is. I've gotten to the point where I don't believe anything I read that the media publishes on this topic just because they have no ability to be objective whatsoever. You mentioned yeah, and going just, to and the, just going back uh, oh, to you know ahead. what was my motivation? But there were two. There were two main motivations. Well, actually, there were three main motivations. Okay, one is the town had a real need. Parents were screaming for a place for aftercare for their children. And I live in the town. I care about my town. And I said, you know what? We would be a great facility. We were in the right area of town that needed it, and that would be great. Number two is we were going to get money in without having to tap into our membership because we're constantly going back to the membership, like every every church or synagogue going back to our membership for money. This was another alternative revenue stream. And the third, which is, which is ironic and, and almost comical, was public relations. We wanted the synagogue – you know, not only did we want to do something good for the town, we wanted – the town to know that the synagogue was doing something good for the town so that that would improve the relations with the town. Not that they're bad, but make them even better. So because here we are, we're, we're the heroes. We're doing something great. And all of that blew up because I'm on the registry. All blew sure. up. Did this scandal hurt the synagogue? Yeah, it's, it, absolutely. And it's still hurting. It's still hurting. Well, I'm not talking about public relations. Did they, did they lose members? Did they lose uh, revenue? I mean, it's something – a little bit more concrete than, yes, it's embarrassing to everybody. You, they, may, they may not realize it, but the number one thing that, that, that they lost was a super dedicated president who was working his butt off. It's very hard to get volunteers to, to give the kind of dedication that I was giving to this place. Okay, mm-hmm. so, that's, so number one, there, all, the, all the programs that I was working on kind of came to an abrupt halt. So that's number one. Number two is... There is, there's still a little bit of a rift in the community, and there are people that are all of a sudden, you know, some of the families, they won't show up on a Friday night because I'm there. Mm-hmm. So there's some of that going on. But for the most part, you know, it's, it, things have mostly gone on the same, but the mood's a little different. It's, uh, you know, I would go on a Friday night, I would show up 
when I was at work, I would put together the announcements for the coming week. I'd show up at night. I would walk in, and I would greet the people who were setting up for the little reception we do afterwards. Then I'd go into the, into the main sanctuary area, and I'd light the candle. There's, we have, like, a starter candle that lights the Shabbat candles. I'd light the candle. I'd go up, and I'd sing with our cantor. I'd walk around, and I'd hand out honors to people because there's a certain point where somebody gets called up to the Torah, somebody else uh, lifts the Torah, somebody else carries the Torah. So there's all these different um, honors that you can hand out. I'd greet everybody as the president, and then I would sit down, and then we would have our service, and I'd bop around and talk to people and check in on them. I don't do any of that, and Mm -hmm. nobody else is doing any. So it does. It actually does affect the mood of the place. Sure. If you could say one thing to the woman who started all of this, what would it be? I don't want to say. <laughs> <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Honestly, no, we actually had – there was a meeting. We, we had – I think I put this in the write-up that I did. We had a botched, a botched Sunday meeting afterwards where I explained – walked in thinking I was talking to just people who knew – and I, and I told my story, and, um, and she was one of the people there. And the woman that, that did start this shared that she, was, she had been a, a victim of abuse. And, of course, she has all these feelings that, uh, you know, once an offender, always an offender. How could I, how could we have possibly, you know, I, how could I have possibly ever been in the building and I should never be there? And so the reality is when I look at her, when I think of her, I'm actually I'm not really angry. I just I feel bad and I would like for her and and I can't do this. I, can't, I just can't do this, but I would like for for her to get the family actually left the synagogue, but I'd like for her to understand the research, to understand what's really out there and to also heal from whatever trauma that she's experienced in her life. So, I mean, that that's the ultimate goal is for everybody to heal. I mean, Sean asked me about restorative justice and you know that's the ultimate thing is not for people not to suffer it's not me or her we should all be getting along sure you mentioned you're going to the uh, connecticut one standard of justice conference in the next week are you involved with one standard of justice and with narsal uh, i've been yeah i've been doing some stuff with that group and i'm looking forward to saturday so we were actually uh, together today there was a uh, a judiciary committee hearing on a bill in Connecticut affecting the registry, and this was my first time ever today. Uh, was my first time ever testifying in front of a state committee, so this is a, a huge milestone. <laughs> it's been an interesting, an interesting time. You've only just recently become an advocate. You're obviously a great writer. I want to, uh, I want to congratulate you on your Facebook breakup post. That was a wonderful <laughs> article. I really enjoyed it. So you're, you're obviously a great writer, but what other skills are you looking to put to work in your advocacy and what's ahead for Jason? That's a good question. You know, I'm trying to figure all that out. I mean, when I, when I put together that, the website, the end the registry website, as you know, I've been tweeting as uh, at end the registry, but when I put together that website, I wanted to do something where I thought there might be a little bit of a, of a gap, you know, versus just replicating what other people have. And so there's, in addition to just blogging, there's a section on there where I set up groups. And so far, I haven't done much to market it to get people out there. Maybe people who are listening today might think, hey, this is a great idea. But I set it up so that there, you have to be, 
you can't just go in and start talking in these groups and seeing what other people are posting, but it's more, it's more private. You have to be invited into the group, and then you can have conversations. And I set it up with uh, conversations about family and friends support, travel, employment, and off the top of my head, I can't even think of the last one. But, uh, and, and, and it could grow and get more, but the idea was for a place for people to have conversations outside of Twitter or Facebook or some of these other places. I guess if you were on Facebook and, and, and a lot of registrants are not on Facebook because Facebook doesn't like you on there and you could always get booted off at any time. But the idea was that if you're on, say, on Twitter, there's there's so many people out there that can, that they can turn around and say really mean, nasty things just because that's the way it works. And I was looking for a safer, uh, a safer community environment. But like I said, I haven't really promoted it all that much. If that comes down to having time to do that. But other than that, I mean, I think that for me, it's I'm going to continue writing. I'm going to look for opportunities to speak and share and, and share my story. I'm going to look for opportunities to go and affect the legislation. Although that's not my that's not my strong suit, but I will certainly help try to help in that effort. And most of all, the number one thing is is to continue living a life I can be proud of and be the example. So that, that to me, is, is the most important. Well, you're off to a great start. People can follow you on Twitter at End the Registry. Is that correct? Yes. And your website is endtheregistry.com. Not .org, but .com, uh, which is a little <laughs> unusual in, in the advocacy realm, but it's pretty cool that you got that domain. I just want to thank you so much for being with us tonight, Jason. You have a very compelling story. I think it deserves to be heard far and wide, and I wish you the best of luck in your advocacy. You're doing a great job so far. Thank you, Michael and, and Dwayne and Shauna, and, and please edit out all my ums and ahs and uhs. <laughs> <laughs> we will absolutely do that. Uh, it helps us all sound a whole lot smarter on tomorrow's broadcast. Okay. Thank you so much. All right. You've been listening to Registry Report Radio. My name is Michael McKay. My co-hosts this evening have been Dwayne Daughtry and Shauna Baldwin, and we hope you'll be back next week for more Registry Report Radio. Mm-hmm.